Hello everyone, welcome to episode 169 of the Enfocus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan, with me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassana. Hello. And neither one of you said nice hearing 69, I'm disappointed in you both. I will send you my Bill and Ted 69 dude sound clip that I used in episode 69 though. Just make sure you use it every time the word 69 is said aloud. 69 dudes! Running gags only work if they run. And this week, uh, we're going to offer our closing thoughts on Eastwood. We're going to talk a little bit more about Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance from the Advanced Collection. Uh, we're going to talk about Nino Kuni 2, uh, Revenant Kingdom. I'm going to talk about Super Arcade Football, because no one else will. And Tori's going to bring up some chat about Deltarune Chapter 1 and 2, and a little bit of Undertale 2. So with that, uh, let's get into our closing thoughts from Eastwood. <laughs> Okay, Andrew, uh, I think you've beaten it, I think. You, I think you beat it before I did. Yeah. So with our early impressions, we were uh, both rating this pretty highly uh, in the last episode. Um, on completion, I still like it a whole lot, but I do have a few caveats um, in terms of the game's pacing and there's lots of times where it doesn't respect my time with really pointless quests where it's just go here oh no you don't actually need to go here just go to this other place instead where they could have just written the correct thing into the narrative which would have saved me just a whole heap of pointless wandering through uh, the same environments we were talking about i think you're working on your review at the moment uh, i think you were in a, a similar frame of mind when we were discussing it uh, privately where you said it, it's very good except when it isn't yeah that's in my outline yeah yeah <laughs> sorry spoiler alert completely agree with that so yeah the the pacing is the main issue like that chapter three is way over long um and you spend too too long in the the one place the stuff that happens there is, is quite charming like there's the the cooking competition everything but it just seems overly drawn out and I, I think that's true of a couple of the plot points you agree with that sounds about right yeah we were also talking about um john the main character and you know we were waiting for something to happen uh, and it never really did he's not really an interesting character come the end uh, other than him being a vehicle for i guess sam as the supporting character to to have her story told but yeah pretty underwhelming in that regard yeah in games like this that's usually the case where the child character actually is the main character clementine is the real main character of the walking dead you know that became more obvious as they released more seasons <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh that was actually something that needed to be said about the first season ellie is the real main character in the last of us um mm -hmm. it's true here too sam is the real main character of eastward it's much easier to see that here because john is a completely silent character he's an expressionless character and i kept mm -hmm. waiting and waiting and waiting for them to do something with that for there to be something a moment where he actually did speak just to surprise us <laughs> that doesn't happen uh spoiler but i i, I don't think spoilers of what doesn't happen is much of a spoiler uh, mm. or, or a moment where like he remains silent and grim and stoic but I, I still get a better idea of what's going on inside his head i never had that moment yeah he's just mm -hmm. he's a totally blank silent character and remains that way all throughout the game and it's pretty disappointing yeah like there's no motivation for him other than that he found sam and then just does everything that she wants yeah that was a <laughs> that's another big part of my written review which is uh mid-draft right now is uh <laughs> the character's motivations uh they change a lot which is fine but it makes it really hard to keep track of 
what my current goal in the game is like especially when i got to the end of chapter eight and i ran into a certain character that we had been chasing after for a while i was like oh yeah i completely forgot about them (laughs) (laughs) just the the game just was off doing other things it was on other tangents for quite a long time uh, and barely mentioning these characters who were the impetus of the current plot arc that we were on yeah so um yeah, not not quite as uh, brilliant as I'd hoped. Overall, I still really liked it. I think people should play it. Uh, but yeah, there's just a couple of those big caveats where it's just like, oh, I wish this was more efficient more than anything. It's a little too self-indulgent. And that really mm. works in its favor in some places like that Earth Home or Earthborn game that's in the game. There's no reason to play it, but it's actually mm-hmm. a pretty solid RPG. So it's interesting that it's in there. Mm-hmm. The graphics are ridiculous. There is an absolutely ridiculous amount of like original sprite art that only appears in one place. And if you don't mm-hmm. see it, you'll never see it again, uh, <laughs> which is not an efficient way of making a game. So it's no wonder that it took them so long to finish this game. But that self-indulgence also works against it in the story in many places. Um, Also, the crashes got a bit more annoying for me at the end um, in that I had to do the final chase with the Miasma six times. Oh, my. Because it crashed every time I got to the end of it. I I, I didn't have too many problems with crashes, actually. I I had that crashes that we talked about in the last time. Then after that, it, it was a pretty smooth going. Oh, and there's that one boss fight that is just... Uh, it's, lag central it's a frame rate nightmare because uh yeah i think it was all the grass that's there mm-hmm. i'm almost positive that was the only problem <laughs> uh, I, th- I feel like it's fixable i don't think it's a platform issue it's just yeah they've already put out a performance patch which very well could have fixed that um mm-hmm. I, I have no desire to replay half the game just to find out <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but yeah that that boss fight was a slideshow <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's Eastwood. Good, but not as good as it could have been. Okay, uh, with that, let's uh, move on to the other things that we've been playing in the last week. Okay, uh, Andrew, you wanted to offer Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance an apology. Because I was really hard on that game last week. Uh, I said it was bottom floor Castlevania, which I think it still might be, but I I don't mean that as derogatorily as I did back then. But I I replayed it and Circle of the Moon since the past recording. I got through both of them. Uh, Circle of the Moon, I do have to talk about that a little bit to contextualize my feelings about Harmony of Dissonance, but the player character in that is very slow. He moves a lot like a classic Castlevania character, especially how they move in, in the first and the third games on the NES. So moves at a very slow walking speed there is a run option that you unlock but i don't find it reliable to use all the time especially in combat and the jumping once you once you started to jump you're committed to it so in circle of the moon you get hit a lot because you have to know an attack is coming and you have to have pre-dodged it in order to dodge it. You can't just react to it. That's just not the way the movement system works. And Harmony of Dissonance really felt like a response to that because its player character moves more than twice as fast as the player character in Circle of the Moon, it seems like. At least twice as fast. And also, from the very start of the game, has dashing abilities that you can activate with the shoulder buttons so you can dash backward or forward instantly in the moment just by pressing one of those buttons so it makes it much easier to avoid enemy attacks and actually as a result 
it's a much, much, much easier game. And that, that would actually be something I would still hold against it is this game is really easy, especially the bosses. I, I one shot most of the bosses blind just because it was so easy to avoid their attacks with those dodging skills that you don't even have to unlock. They're just available right there from the start. But I do think that's an improvement because the difficulty in Circle of the Moon I often felt was coming from just how difficult it was to avoid attacks at all. And I would rather have a game be easy through my skill than hard through the game's intransigence, basically. <laughs> that's the difference between these two. And also the customization is a lot better than I was giving it credit for. Like in Circle of the Moon, you only get the whip in Harmony of Dissonance, but there's a lot more that you can do with it. There are different upgrades you can unlock for it that give it different elemental affinities that don't cost magic, uh, or just extend its range, or give it additional skills like the ability to break walls, which is pretty important in a Metroidvania. And also a spellbook. There are five different spellbooks I think you can find that actually completely change up what the uh, the heart items do like if you never played a Castlevania game like you can find like a cross that works like a boomerang or a bottle of holy water you can throw on the ground that creates a ball of fire on the ground and those cost hearts to use well you combine those with one of the spell books in harmony of dissonance it actually creates an entirely new effect and there's quite a few effects because there's quite a few items and quite a few spell books to match up so that's pretty impressive as well i do still think i was right about the castle though it's it's much more interesting to look at than the castle in circle of the moon because they were a lot more comfortable with what the game boy advance was capable of so there's a lot of uh, parallax effects going on in the background. There's actually even a few 3D objects in the background of a few areas, and you can see the sky a lot more in a few areas, whereas in Circle of the Moon, you pretty much would see castle wall everywhere you went. It wasn't terribly interesting to look at. Uh, and it does this really cool twist, which I mentioned, and it, it's almost like a magician's trick, where what you've been looking at through the whole game up to that point you realize as you retrace your steps, you were actually seeing something different than you thought you were. But as a result of that magician's trick, and as I mentioned in the last episode, and I am committing to this, it makes the castle really tedious to navigate. Uh, but I, I don't want to really say more than that because it will give away the magician's trick, and it is a really good trick, and I, I want people to experience that blind. Uh, if at all possible you know this is a, a fairly it's a 20 year old game so i think i think uh, the the twist is fairly well known at this point if you know anything about castlevania games but if you don't uh that's cool <laughs> and uh the collectibles are just obnoxious i mentioned there's a, a room that you find in the castle that is empty and the main character juiced or Eusta, j-u-s-t-e i'm not sure how to pronounce it uh he decides he wants to decorate this room <laughs> So you have to go around the castle finding furniture. <laughs> you take it back to the room. It doesn't unlock anything. It's so stupid. Uh, I'm laughing just describing it. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a better game than I thought it was. I, I'm not as negative on it. It has problems, absolutely. But I think it's at least as good as Circle of the Moon. And uh, I now recommend all three of the games in this package versus last week where I was pretty dismissive of this one. <laughs> Positive correction all around, I think. Um, okay, uh, I'll go next, and I'm going to talk about Super Arcade Football, uh, which was a 
surprise launch for me. I didn't know that was coming. Uh, it was previously uh, an Apple Arcade exclusive. Um, so the setup of Super Arcade Football uh, before FIFA, before Pro Evolution Soccer, uh, before both those things were the dominant force in football video games, there was a series called Sensible Soccer, uh, with Sensible World of Soccer the most uh, popular by far. Uh, this was a top-down, super-fast-paced football game, particularly popular on the Amiga, um, and this game acts as kind of like a homage to it, uh, with... There's a couple of differences, which which we'll go into. Um, but the main one is this has a story mode, uh, which was the reason I ended up picking it up, because I like the idea of something uh, football-related that I could play for a finite amount of time and have it not impact on the other stuff that I play ongoing. And in this, you play uh, as a team called Balarm FC. In the story, they're about to go out of business, and they're bought for one English pound by a fan who just happens to stumble upon the stadium drunkenly one night and they have to win the league to clear their debt uh, all the while there's other characters there's a love interest who's the uh, owner of a rival football club there's a, a rich club owner who's constantly rubbing their success in your face and they want to buy your stadium to turn it into a car park but it's not really interactive it's just a thing that happens every five levels uh, and of course the game happens in levels rather than a traditional uh, football league setup or football competition setup. It's got a mobile game structure. You play a match, there are three star challenges per level. Uh, win is always one of them, and that you just need to do that to open the next level. Um, but the others involve kind of, you know, hitting a certain amount of fouls or passing the ball a number of times before scoring. It's there if you want a, an extra level of, of completion. That's about the, the content of the game, really. Uh, so the gameplay itself, it's a one button football game uh, and what I mean by that is just one of the face buttons will do all the jobs including passing shooting uh, you do use the analog stick for movement and for the uh, after touch of the ball uh, for those who don't know after touch is after you've shot you can control the trajectory of the ball slightly to give it a curl um, for some ridiculous shots, which are always fun uh, to land in the net it has touch controls too of course it being a an apple arcade exclusive I didn't bother with those outside of a quick test to see if they were actually in there but where this really does differ so the gameplay itself is very very similar to uh, sensible soccer where it differs is the pitches so uh, every team you play uh, they all have a different type of pitch there's like there's the standard outdoor football pitches this indoors where there's no boundaries so if the ball bounces out of bounds you can just run and get it uh, and that, that plays on your memory <laughs> of the rules of what's happening. Uh, some of the pitches are full of mud and puddles that will slow you down. Uh, some of the pitches are made entirely of ice, so it adds a new physics dynamic to the gameplay. Uh, some have thunderstorms where you'll get struck by lightning while you're running with the ball. Uh, but my favourite is the meteors, which will just bear down and strike anyone who's on the ball at any given time and knock everyone for six so it's a big scramble to get the ball back uh, it's a football game that likes to keep you on your toes aside from that like you are just playing the matches over and over again uh, trying to get those challenges if you want it does include local multiplayer and online multiplayer uh, which I, I tried to have a look at the online but i couldn't find a match so uh, mileage may vary there so overall i I probably spent like three to five hours on this game, which I wasn't too mad with the price. It was around 10 bucks. I think it was on a launch sale, so it might be a little bit more expensive than, than that now. But for a, you know, a short blast of a, a retro experience, something I've always 
enjoyed i think it's good it's fun for a few hours um, and i can recommend it on that alone uh the area where it does really uh, lose out particularly to sensible world of soccer is that that game has heaps of depth in terms of the number of leagues and all the data and all the players Uh, this just doesn't have that but uh it's more of a a tribute than a hard and fast copy so yeah so football fans i recommend that um we there is oddly a lot of indie football games on the switch and all of varying degrees of quality weirdly they all try and target a particular console era as well um but i, I think this is up there this is one of the one of the better ones for sure uh andrew nino cooney 2 revenant kingdom you've been playing this one uh i know you've beat the original so you're you're probably on top of all the changes here uh yeah so the, this one is actually like a entirely new story set many years after the original uh, you play as an inhabitant inhabitant of the fantasy world rather than an outsider you play as uh, evan pettywhisker of house tildrum who gets uh, booted from his own kingdom as part of a coup uh, and then he sets about trying to restore a kingdom of his own how are you enjoying it so far i'm not sure how far you are into it i'm not that far i've been playing it for a couple of weekends like mm-hmm. a weekend and a half i guess actually but um i'm not that far into it yet but wow does this game have a beginning <laughs> <laughs> there's this concept called in media race i'm probably pronouncing that wrong it's latin i don't care uh it means in the midst of things it's how you begin a story like literally in the middle of a plot point uh, this game begins with a nuclear explosion over a city on Earth, <laughs> and the camera is following a limo with some head of state in it. I saw uh, an emblem for something that said Union on it, so I think it might be, you know, this world's equivalent of the United States or something mm-hmm. like that. It's hard to tell. It probably doesn't matter. Anyway, after the explosion, the president who is in that limo wakes up in king evans castle in ding dong dell which was uh, a location in the first nino kuni game mm-hmm. uh so nuclear explosion transported to a fantasy kingdom and oh now he's there nobody trusts him because he appeared out of nowhere and there's a coup going on <laughs> with <laughs> these mice invading the castle and killing all the cat people who are there and king evan just barely manages to get out thanks to president roland who helps him to escape which is why all the uh, marketing for this game has Roland running around with a pistol, which is really the, strange to the see. Gun, the gun-toting president. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably wasn't that out far-fetched with the previous uh, presidency. But <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about this, but I suspect that Roland isn't actually the president. I think he's the president's bodyguard, and he's just pretending to be the president for whatever reason, because presidents don't walk around with handguns. But, you know, I could be completely wrong about that. It's an anime. Who knows? Um, um, I, I will say, without spoiling it, Roland's outcome in the end was probably the most disappointing mm. I, I won't go to it i'll just i'll leave it at that <laughs> well anyway tease <laughs> incredible opening this is this is how you start a video game it's amazing uh, but once roland and evan get outside the castle then they go off to find uh this monster called a kingmaker that basically gives evan the ability to start his own kingdom and that's where i'm kind of at in the story is uh helping Evan accomplish that. And this game goes to lots of places. Uh, <laughs> one minute's an RPG where it's an action RPG. Uh, mm-hmm. You go into combat and you, you 
run into a monster and then you flash into that abstract combat area that's just a big circle in the middle of a an empty space and you fight monsters in it and it's an action rpg so it's got light and heavy attacks that you can string together and each character also has four different abilities they can equip and three different weapons they can equip at a time and as you hit enemies with the weapons they build up things called this power called zing and when a weapon gets to 100% zing then you can use one of the abilities with it and it will deal extra damage and have increased effect i'm also joined in combat by things called higgledies which are these little kind of pikmin like spirit creatures that follow the characters around and you can unlock more of them by finding higgledy stones hidden throughout the world and doing some favor for them or giving them some kind of item and then they'll join you and there's over 100 higgledies to find and like i have a green higgledy if i activate that in battle then they'll heal me there's like a neutral colored higgledy that turns into a cannon and i have these these black shadow higgledies that drop like a shadow gravity well on the ground that deals a lot of damage to enemies that are standing in it it's a pretty cool combat system i'm having a good time with it then suddenly the game is an rts <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that, that comes out of left field yeah uh because you are trying to help evan establish this kingdom and you know when you're a kingdom especially a young kingdom and there's just been a coup nearby there's going to be some military strife so you're in these pitched like wider battles where evan is in the middle as the player character and he's surrounded by different groups of units that have like spears and swords and bow and arrow and you can rotate them around evan with the shoulder buttons and you have to like walk into enemies and into structures to fight them and you got to keep rotating things to keep your archers covered it's pretty basic but i could see them squeezing a lot of new ideas out of this i haven't done it very much uh, so I'm not sure exactly how deep it's going to go, but I'm in no way annoyed by it, and I'm perfectly happy to keep doing it. All I will say is airstrikes. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, I, I have an airstrike already, but it uses my uh, military forces, which I, mm-hmm. I like to save to restore my units that get killed. But, you know, I'm still early on, so I'm still developing strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's kingdom management stuff where you find resources and you get resources from finishing quests and you can use them to build new structures back in your kingdom that evan is building literally from scratch so Mm. it's a really interesting game it's got a lot of ideas it's very different from the first nina kuni so like even if Mm. you didn't like that game and even if you were like me and you were kind of lukewarm towards it nina kuni 2 is very different lots of different ideas it's the same setting but it is in no way the same game (laughs) it's more of a spin-off than a sequel i would say uh Mm. as to the port quality uh the graphics still hold up really well. Like I haven't played it on... This was a PS4 game, an Xbox One game. I think it's also on PC, and it was made with those mm-hmm. platforms in mind, unlike the first Nunakuni, which was last-gen, so it ported to Switch pretty easily. Uh, so the graphics hold up really well. I haven't really seen anything in the textures to complain about. I'm sure it probably doesn't look as good as it did on the other platforms, but I think it still looks great. The problem is the frame rate. I'm no stickler on frame rate. I, I freely admit when I'm playing a game that has frame rate problems that other people complain about, I don't even notice. I, I can tell in this game that it, it is constantly hovering in the low to mid 20s. Uh, 
on the world map especially uh it's not anything that's affected me but i have noticed i can tell this game is running slower than it should be and if you're a real stickler for performance you probably don't want to play it on switch uh, hopefully it'll get patches that'll improve that performance or maybe just as the switch hardware improves that'll just naturally resolve itself or it might be a software problem that can't be resolved i don't know but that's something to be aware of is the frame rate is very uncommonly hitting 30 fps and that's my mm -hmm. only complaint about this this is one of my favorite games i've played so far this year so far yes it's very good i do like it i think uh, i was in the place where i preferred the original story but i loved the mechanics of this one and mm -hmm. um, the kingdom management stuff in particular is really good and um, there's a lot of useful stuff you can get from there including weapons upgrades materials to use you know some of the stuff that just saves you the hassle of having to grind for it out in the real world um the other thing you didn't mention which you probably haven't unlocked yet is the tweaker tactic tweaker i did i have unlocked that i just i completely forgot it because i barely used it yeah that's cool so you can um it's basically a menu where you can tailor your resistance and uh damage you can do with the you know the different um status effects or you know the weaknesses and strengths systems you know like you know fire water all that sort of stuff um and you can also uh weight the balance of your loot choosing if you want to get more gear materials xp or money um i think that's a really cool system i, lo I love having those little flexibility things in jrpgs but you do have to think about your setup you can't do everything at once so, <laughs> so yeah nino kuni 2 uh, I, I'm definitely going to pick this up on Switch again because, uh, yeah, <laughs> I like that game. Okay, Tori, Delta Runes and Undertale. Yes, saving the best for last, I see. Mm -hmm. All right, so it's difficult to talk about Delta Rune without talking a little bit about Undertale. Um, if you somehow haven't played Undertale by now, uh, a brief summary it's a narrative driven sort of RPG. There's RPG elements in it, but it's hard to explain that they're not all that relevant if you play particular ways. It adapts to the way that you play. Uh, the story mode basically completely changes the, the path that you go down. The, the bosses and the story will change completely depending on if you're going through and trying to befriend all the monsters instead of fighting them or going through and killing everything. It definitely opened my eyes to what games could do in terms of kind of playing the player back i don't know if that's an intelligent way of putting it but that basically the idea of the game kind of matching what the player's actions kind of um reveal about themselves and what they expect from the story depending on what on the way that they play uh so if you haven't played undertale definitely recommend it the world of deltarune has a lot of similarities to undertale the gameplay uh, lots of familiar characters, but they're not the same characters as Undertale, if that makes sense. It's almost like a alternate universe, um, as far as we know, at least. Um, so Deltarune basically picks up, kind of playing on the whole expectations of having control over the game. It immediately gives you an avatar creator, so you can create your own character give it personality traits and everything and even name it and then it will just disregard everything with the idea that nobody gets to choose who they are in this world. It's kind of done for humor but also it's got an eerie aura to it. It 
kind of resembles Earthbound in its presentation, which is definitely a huge influence on Undertale and Deltarune. Um, your character that you play as is Chris. You're a seemingly non-binary um, blank slate of a character. They don't talk that much. Uh, they're a human in a world full of monsters. Um, you're, you, you appear to be adopted. Uh, again, it's nothing's explicitly stated, but Chris is a, an adopted character. Their brother is a monster who's gone away to college, which I think is a very common thing in America. It's not really a thing here in Australia. And you live at home with your mum, Toriel, who is a teacher at the local high school, which is pretty much immediately where you get sent to, where you meet all your classmates, in particular one called Susie, who seems to be the misunderstood bad girl of the school. Not quite a bully, just playing on that stereotype of the bad kid who's probably not all that bad if people got to know them, but they don't really allow anyone to get to know them. Um, you and Susie, well, Chris and Susie are sent to the supply closet to get some chalk because it appears that that's all gone. As you find out very quickly, Susie eats the chalk. Yeah. <laughs> you get sent to the supply closet, which you are then transported into another world, uh, the dark world, where both you and Susie are thrust into a a story of prophecy of saving the world. Uh, one of the the really cool things that's different from uh, Undertale. In Undertale, the battles are kind of like a bullet hell. When the enemies attack, you have you control like a little heart in a box, and you have to dodge the attacks. Every enemy's got different attacks. What Deltarune does as you're exploring the area, particularly early on. Those sort of bullet hell things actually happen on the overworld as well. Another thing that it does differently from Undertale is that it gives you a party system. Although it plays with this mechanic because Susie just doesn't want to listen to you. Uh, she doesn't know you that well. Um, and she's very... Very much of the mind that she just wants to go through and beat up monsters. It actually becomes a mechanic where you can use your turn to warn the enemies to dodge Susie's attacks because while you can't co directly control Susie you can still uh, make sure that she's not actually doing any harm and that you can still play the way that you want to play uh, that does eventually change uh, there's a lot of character development moments in Deltarune not so much for Chris because Chris is just a blank slate but Susie you know starts to kind of realize that just because people see her as the bad guy doesn't mean that she has to be it sounds very cliche but the way the execution of how it's done is just done in such a entertaining and endearing way that you can't help but just love it but yeah this dark world is entirely themed around playing cards so well playing cards and board games there's a lot of characters that are based off the design of uh, spades, like the suit. Uh, one character in particular who looks up to Susie in terms of trying to be a bad guy is called Lancer, and he's this round little, cute little dude who definitely feels like he has to be the bad guy just because his dad is the the king who's in control of the kingdom, so he feels he's got to be as well, but he's his heart's not fully in it. 
but uh, he looks up to Susie a bit in terms of how to present yourself as a bad guy, and they end up teaming up for a little bit. Whereas you team up with another character who's a part of this prophecy, who is a prince of the dark world, called Rolsey. And if you've played Undertow, you'll realize that it's an anagram of uh, Asriel, which is a character that has a very deep link with both Frisk, which is the main character of Undertow, as well as Chris, because it's his brother who went to college. Uh, I don't think that's really a spoiler. I think everyone figured that out as soon as he said his name was Rolsey. You can just see it. But yeah, that's that's just chapter one. You go through, you save the world. There's a dark fountain that the king has opened up, which will consume the light world, which is where you live in your school and everything. And you stop it. I'm leaving out a lot of details just so you can experience it yourself. Unlike Undertale, though, Deltarune Chapter 1 doesn't have multiple paths. There is an optional side boss, which is very unique. Again, if you want to discover that on your own, highly recommend it. It's got one of the best boss battle music tracks I've ever heard. But, um, yeah, that's, it's only really one way to play Deltarune Chapter 1. Uh, there's a little bit of a twist at the end, which isn't fully addressed at the start of Chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2 more closely resembles Undertale in terms of a story, narrative mechanics. So, Chapter 2 ha uh, takes place the next day. Uh, Chris and Susie aren't... They're, they're their friends now. But they aren't fully convinced that everything in chapter one actually happened or if it was just a dream. So does it, uh, they decide to go back to to visit Rolsey and everyone else that they've made friends with over the course of chapter one. Uh, there's another character in the light world called Noelle who has a bit of a crush on Susie as well. And she asks you to go to the computer lab in the library to study together and to definitely bring Susie. Uh, but when you get there, it's another Dark World. However, instead of being based on cards and board games, this one's based on the internet. Uh, the main boss of this area is called the Queen, who also resembles Lancer and the King from Chapter 1, but she's a computer, and a lot of her mannerisms and personality traits are based off learning things through people's search history. Uh, there's one line where she says that People in the light world love traffic. They look it up all the time, which I just thought was a, a pretty funny line. <laughs> uh, she's, basically, she speaks without capitalization and punctuation. It, it's just like she speaks in DMs, basically. She's quite hilarious. However, the, this game does resemble Undertale a bit more because it does give you multiple uh, routes. Interestingly, though, the characters around you will actually react to Chris's reaction to the things that you make them do. Uh, it seems that if you go kind of the dark route, characters will point out that Chris looks quite upset and distressed, which is an interesting take because it starts playing around with the whole idea of are you Chris or are you controlling Chris? Which again, it it's hard to get into the philosophy of Undertale in a podcast, especially when I'm not fully prepared with notes and examples and everything, but it does get a bit philosophical with the nature of that wall between player and player character. 
uh, it makes you think. I don't know if I'd say that it really says anything substantial about the topic, but it does kind of creep you out when the game starts referring to you specifically. It's almost like a meta horror sort of thing. But yeah, Deltarune 2, it's got some fantastic music as well. Uh, the battles are a bit more engaging because they've added the ability. So each character that you play as, it's typically Chris, Rolsey, and Susie in your party. They all have a special ability each. Chris is acting, which is how you kind of interact with the enemy characters to befriend them and then spare them instead of killing them. It gives that acting ability to the other two characters as well. There's a whole side story as well with a character called Spamton. They kind of come up as a random boss partway through the game, but they have a much more significant role if you play a particular way where they kind of turn into a major threat rather than Queen. It's not as substantial as what Undertale was in terms of playing a whole different game depending on how you interact in battles, but it's still fascinating enough uh, that Noelle character I mentioned earlier joins your party for a bit and the way that you interact with her specifically can be a bit um, uh, disturbing, I guess. Maybe not all the way to disturbing, but it's it's not something I've seen in a video game before. <laughs> but um, overall, I'd highly recommend it. It's definitely a, a chapter one, not so much, but chapter two does kind of beg multiple playthroughs. If you haven't played Undertale, start there just to kind of give you an idea of what Toby Fox, the creator of these games, kind of likes doing with uh, stories and characters. It's all got a, it's all kind of wrapped around in this very obscure humor, not obscure, like um, abstract humor. It's very weird and avant-garde in some ways, but it's all very cute and endearing as well. So yeah, start with Undertale to kind of get an idea of what Toby Fox is. <laughs> and then <laughs> Deltarune chapter one, and then try chapter two, play it a couple of ways, just because, you know, you do get a different outcome. I don't know if one's considered canon or not. I don't know if that's going to play uh, a bigger part down the line, because there's meant to be seven chapters in this total. Chapters three, four, and five are coming together next, but, but they'll be paid, uh, a paid game rather than a free demo, which is what chapter one and two is considered to be. But yeah, highly recommend it if you like games that kind of play around with your expectations of what a game is and can be. Uh, sorry, I don't really have much to contribute to that one because I've never played Undertale. I know I should. Uh, it's on that list of great games I should get to, but then I keep picking uh, more brain-numbing stuff instead. Um, if you do play Undertale, yeah. the mm -hmm. first playthrough, you can play it however Murder you everything. want. No, Murder everything. <laughs> Murder them all. Kill. The way it works is that the first playthrough will always be the same no matter how you play it. You'll get an ever so slightly different dialogue at the end. Mm -hmm. The second playthrough is when you can start kind of branching out. Uh, you, can get, you can't get the true ending on the first try. Mm -hmm. So there's no wrong way to play it the first time. The second time, play however the hell you want, but commit. Either kill everything or don't. Don't kill anything kill all the things but it only takes like four or five hours for a playthrough 
Nice. That's not too long. Yeah. Yeah, I was only doing that just because I know uh Undertale <laughs> fans hate it when you do the violent playthrough. So. <laughs> well, you get one of the best um you know, Megalovania, the it's probably the most famous Undertale song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you only get that on the violent route. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Andrew, we'll start with you. Dread. Same. Tori? Um, so I bought Mikey Ball Banana Mania for some reason, just because it looked like fun. And I don't think Metroid Dread is going to arrive on time because Monday is a public <laughs> holiday. Uh, and I can't pick up my OLED switch until lockdown ends, which will be another week. Uh, and me, I'm going to keep plugging through Actraiser. Uh, give early impressions of Metroid Dread and the OLED Switch if it arrives in time. Um, actually, I was thinking we might delay if if more than one of us has yeah. stuff missing. Might as well do until the week after next. So <laughs> yeah, so we'll I'd, I'd rather hang fire and have a have a more collective approach for those things. So. Thanks for listening to this episode of End Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to listen to our sister shows, PlayState, and The Power of X for PlayStation and Xbox game coverage. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with our lively community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in our show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon, and the details for both are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andy Corrigan, and you can follow him on Twitter at FlameRoastToast. I am at Andrew, I'm at PlayCritically, and you can read my long-form reviews at PlayCritically.com. And Tori is at Stu2, that's S-T-W-T-W-O, and watch her live streams on Twitch.tv slash Tori, S-T-W.